And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 2nd of October, 2018, and this is episode 256. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. On this week's show, we'll stand on our desk and we will pay tribute to Walt Whitman. And we'll embrace a new era of Orioles baseball and we'll ask, will Bird's Eye View actually be a part of it? And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, Jake, we are now in October. Uh, we are in prime pumpkin season here. Uh, so I am drinking a UFO brewing pumpkin. Real pumpkin, seasonal, seasonal spices, and fresh from the patch flavor. Oh boy, what a beer. Mm. Put a little grapefruit in that shandy and you got something going. Pumpkin, no thanks. Mm, Boston. I'm drinking a mystery. Mm, okay. I'm drinking a mystery. Um, it's gin and tonic. Okay. The gin came out of a flask. Okay. And I don't remember what kind of gin it was. So there could be roofies in there. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, one can only hope. If you are interested in finding out what we are drinking on a regular basis, such as me, with free, light, awful beer on, what was that, Thursday? Saturday? Days that end in Y? There was a day. Yeah. Um, come join us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. First one comes from Ryan Romano, and it was one last time. And Jake, this was Ryan's tweet to you in response to you going out on Saturday to see Adam Jones off. Ryan tweets as follows. It was legitimately amazing to see the crowd of like, I don't know, 5,000 people get extremely loud for Jones and Jones alone. Saturday was pretty cool. So I went uh, downtown. I mentioned it at Blowing the Save last week. I have a friend who, who formerly worked at Pickles. So I went for his last shift. It was a great day. Um, but I went over and just went into the ballpark. I was hoping to get a puffy vest, but I didn't get the puffy vest. I'm a little upset. I'm thinking they uh, gave them all away in game one. <clears throat> anyway. Because there was obviously 25,000 people there. Not sure why I didn't get my puffy vest. I'm a little upset. But anyway, I went over and uh, I just walked around the ballpark. I walked around and around and around. I sat in a bunch of sections just to watch a bat or two, an inning. And uh, it was really nice just to kind of say goodbye to an old friend, meaning the ballpark, and knowing as well that I would be saying goodbye to an old friend in number 10. So you pulled the old man routine. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And you know what? It, it wasn't dusty on Saturday. Yeah. Next on the Twitters, we have a tweet from, well, of course, it's this week on the Twitters on Bird's Eye View. Matt Kremnitzer has to show up. And here is a tweet. Too bad they can't shut down the season. And it's a uh, it's a quote that came from uh, Rockabaco's blog. But here's the follow-up. Also, Adam Jones was asked about a team running out of pitchers. He said, that's a question for somebody in player personnel, not a player. Uh, I love that. Very, very awkward. I love that. Speaking of awkward moments, um, let's just say the Orioles blew their load a little too early here. This tweet from comes from John Mioli. You can find him at John Mioli. Speaking of tonight at Camden Yards, you can get a good deal on apparel of players who aren't with the Orioles anymore. Hey, wait a second. Is a sign with Orioles gear that says all Britain, Scope, Machado, and Jones jersey apparel and novelties, 30% off. Too soon. The Orioles quickly removed this after the John Mioli tweet, indicating that it was an error 
by the Orioles store to put the sign out at that time. That's not the best part of this tweet. <laughs> that is absolutely not the best part of this tweet, because if you scroll down, <laughs> you get a reaction from none other than simply AJ10. Uh, I love that. Got Jones. a little stringer bell here uh, with a, oh, so uh, yeah. Good job, Adam. Well done. Well done. All right. Last tweet comes from, well, Jake, after a dark season like this, even the professionals are getting a little misty-eyed over Adam Jones leaving. This last tweet comes from Suspedes Family Barbecue. You can follow them at Suspedes Barbecue. BRB, going to go get all my feels in and write some sappy stuff about Adam Jones, which pretty much every other beat writer in the world did this past week, paying their ode, as it were, and tipping their cat to the great Adam Jones. Now, um, I'm not one for math, but Scott, I'm, I'm noticing a theme here. A hundred percent of our tweets on this week of the Twitter were Adam Jones centric. Yeah. So you know what we're going to do? Well, let's talk about Adam. Absolutely. Jones. Jake, we talked about it. Marius fans showed up this past weekend and paid their final respects to Adam Jones. Again, nothing has been solidified yet. Nothing has been said by the team of saying, this is it. He will not be back next year. But I think most fans saw the writing on the wall and in terms of how Adam Jones has been responding to the media and to kind of knowing what was going to be occurring in terms of management. Adam knew this was his final swan song and knew that the time had come for him to depart from Birdland. And as such, you know, coming into Sunday, you knew there had to be something that was going to occur, some pomp and some circumstance in order to pay respect to one of the greatest Orioles of our generation. And here's the thing about Adam Jones. There was no reason to watch Sunday's game. There was no reason to go to the park on Sunday except for Adam Jones. Adam Jones... I was actually really excited about Jimmy Yacobonis. <laughs> really. <laughs> Adam Jones' final game made it must-see TV. And uh, I, I thought it was very entertaining, say one thing, which we'll get to. Uh, but let's start before the game. Uh, I, for one, was not prepared for Palmer tears. Oh, yeah. Oh, my Lord. I thought that I was emotionally stable until Jim Palmer happened, and then... There was no chance of me holding it together. Yeah, so you you sit down on the couch and you're just like, all right, let's do this. You know, uh, I'm a big boy. I've seen players go before. I'm going to be okay. And then uh, Palmer starts to get misty-eyed over Buck and uh, after Jones. And it's uh, it's one of those situations where I, I, I think back to other times that I've seen Palmer get misty-eyed. And I think back to the Flanagan night um, and the broadcast. And it's certainly not the same circumstances whatsoever, but it's interesting to see Palmer kind of reminisce and or experience that kind of emotion where we normally just associate Jim Palmer as an asshole and a heartless bastard. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, is that I, I don't know about you, but 
you know, when I watched Palmer and and uh, Thorne react the way they did, it kind of made me feel a little less silly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I'm a person that spends my Monday nights in your basement talking sure. about the Orioles, caring way too much about a game. And, uh, you know, I grow emotionally attached to some of these guys. And when they leave, it makes me sad. And, and it just it, it made me feel like, okay, I'm not quite so crazy. So here's my question. How much do you think Palmer is going to cry when Chris Davis leaves the team? <laughs> I I don't think that will happen. You mean uh with sadness or with joy? Yes. <laughs> I do not think that we'll see quite the waterworks that we did. What was there a moment uh that got you chopping the onions uh during Sunday's game? Um I I'd say there wasn't a moment that made me chopping the onions. It was one of those more of those situations just like We've seen moments throughout this whole era of you just kind of take it in, you step back, and it's kind of almost like an out-of-body experience of like, this is happening, I won't see this again, mm-hmm. um, is, is the best way to put it. So, Kind of um, like the 2014 playoffs? Um, kind of like the 2014 playoffs, but I was actually somewhat reminiscing about the aspect of clinchmas. Um, and I really kind of equated to that of saying, this is a moment that will stick in my head, and this will be a moment that... Um, when highlight reels are put out of the Orioles, this might be a highlight reel in terms of kind of showing what the Oriole way is about. Sure. So they uh, they surprised Jones by, you know, he he started in center field. Yep. Uh, he and Buck worked that out ahead of time. And then, you know, he led the charge out as usual as the center fielder does, except none of the other players followed his lead. He got all the way out to his place before he realized that the team was giving him, you know, one last chance to just spend some quality time with the fans so they could acknowledge him. I'm really glad that we have gone back to Bird's Eye View Season 1 of recapping things that probably people have already seen multiple times. I mean, it is really classic Bird's Eye View here. I thought that was a cool moment. The other moment that got me was uh, was him hugging Showalter oh, yeah. on the, you know, in the dugout afterward. I was just like, oof, oof. Yeah, it was, it was interesting – that Jones came off the field, hugs Mancini, goes down the line, hugs a bunch of people, and then really takes a little bit extra time with Showalter. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about that that whole situation with uh, the Mancini hug was the one that kind of stuck out to me. Like nobody else on the field really kind of came over. It was just like, no, like this is part of the aspect of me coming off the field. Like I found it interesting that, I mean, I know it was in the progression, but I thought it was interesting that Mancini really kind of did that. I mean, do you think that's a situation where the mantle has been placed on Mancini to say, go on and lead the team going forward? Yeah, I can't even begin to like imagine who this team belongs to, so to speak, yeah. after Jones is gone. But did you see the post-game interview with Mancini? I did, and that's specifically why I'm kind of asking this question of Mancini really talked about you know what kind of role he needs to serve in the locker room going forward. And I, I found it very interesting in that regard of, whether something was said when Jones came over to him and saying, hey, it's all yours now. You need to lead it the right way. I don't know what happened, but I feel like that brief moment for the 10 seconds or so that something happened there. And I don't know. It just struck me when I was watching even like something weird is going on here. Like the sword is being passed, as it were. Yeah. I mean, he, he was definitely bro- he being Mancini was definitely broken up in that postgame interview. Um, but, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, this guy. <laughs> Clearly won't be Chris Davis's team. No. Right? But who who else is left? 
<laughs> I hadn't thought about it until this conversation, but whose team is this? It wasn't even Manny Machado's team when right. he was on this team. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole point that I think, you know, we'll get into in the next segment. But, I mean, you look at the team construction, and there really is so few players that have been here, even for any significant of a time. I mean, you've got Major League Baseball veterans, but you don't have players that have certainly come up through the position rankings and mm-hmm. basically are um, experienced talent and kind of know what winning Orioles baseball may look like. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, if you look for looking for a position player to potentially lead the team going forward, I'm not sure Mancini is the best player on the team, but he he certainly has that kind of Oriole-esque way maybe of saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get me on the field, whether that's me going out of left field, whether it's me going to first base. I just come to the field, and I basically try to play the best I am and just put the ball into play. I, I would put it this way. Um He's got a little bit of that Buck Showalter description in the fact that you never question his want to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that uh, portion of it is the thing that that fans will connect to, whether or not he's even remotely close to being, you know, one of the most talented players in the field. Sure. I hope that he has a bounce back season next year. Yeah. But, you know, even if he doesn't have a, you know, even if he's not great shakes, I mean, I guess he's, you know, one of the team leaders, if not the de facto captain at this point. Yeah, I think that was a really interesting moment, at least what I saw, one that just kind of made me cock my head and be like, hmm. A little upset that Joey Rickard came out and replaced Adam Jones. Who would you have replaced Adam Jones with in his in his final game? This is a stupid question. Wayne Kirby, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So, I don't care if Major League Baseball was like, that's not allowed. I'd be like, nah, doesn't matter. We're just going to make this happen. This game did not matter <laughs> at all. We forfeit, okay? The Astros <laughs> didn't care about this game. The Orioles didn't care about this game, except for the fact that it was a stage for Adam Jones' day on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, he's he's gone, right? He's he's not coming back next year. There's there's no chance that he comes back next year. Okay. There's no chance. Um, so where do you think he goes? Um. The Yankees? No, I'm just joking. I was joking about that in a previous podcast. Um, well, let me let me build up to where he goes. Okay, is Adam Jones a everyday player? You know, I I I think he is to a certain regard. I don't know if he is a a 600 plate appearance player, but I th- certainly think that he's a 450 plus plate appearance player. So, so I he's think, a 75 25 platoon guy. Yeah, I, I think that's more more along the lines of how I would somewhat lump him in at this point. You know, I think he's a left fielder, right fielder with a spot start in center field when you need him. Um, but I, I, I certainly don't think that um, he has to play every single game, but I certainly think it would help. Um, I mean, in terms of teams that, you know, may want him, you know, I still look at the Indians as a possibility going forward. I mean, I know it didn't happen at the mm-hmm. trade deadline, mm-hmm. but I still look at the Indians and say they played Melky Cabrera for pretty much all the time in right field. I've got to think like an Adam Jones player would be better than a Melky Cabrera on a long-term basis. Um, the Padres, I know people always sure. come back from the San Diego aspect. I still think that's a possibility. Just someone saying, Hey, we want to do it. Um, even the Braves and just kind of saying, Hey, I'm replacing Nick Marquez says would be a really interesting aspect. And I brought that up in a previous podcast. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good place for him to go. I mean, he would recognize what half the clubhouse and, right. you know, it'd be a good team for him to go to. Yeah. So that. those would be the three that I would throw out there. I would throw the Braves, the Padres, and I would throw the Indians as my playoff team 
that potentially could use an Adam Jones-like player. Sure. And, you know, at this point, wherever he goes, I just hope he gets the ring. You know, what? whatever team he lands on. Even the Yankees? Why make me sad? Why do that? Okay. Only Brian Roberts breaks my heart in that particular fashion. I just, just want to ask a question. Just want to ask a question. Uh, at, at Adam Jones, uh, you know, the the end of an era. I, I thought that uh, what Jake Mintz wrote, you know, you, you mentioned earlier in this week in the Twitters was, was interesting um, and spot on. He made Orioles baseball worth watching. Yeah. You know, he made us care about it. He was a little prickly at times, you know. He, he wasn't perfect from a personality standpoint, but from what he did on the field, which was fantastic, and what he did off the field, which I think is is better. Yeah. Um, how lucky were we to get a player like Adam Jones? I, I sometimes marvel that I got a player that I enjoyed so much in Adam Jones in a deal in which we had a player that I didn't like so much in Eric Bedard leaving. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. Adam Jones will, you know, go down as, um, you know, one of the greatest Orioles in history, not so much maybe for the statistical performance that he put out on a year-in and year-out basis, but more so for the leadership and the role that he took in the community. Um, You know, we've talked about this before. We've had issues with Adam and, you know, how um, how much – Verbal social media diarrhea sometimes he has, and that's sometimes an issue. But again, it's that outspoken passion that you see from him when, you know, he's taunted with racist chants at Fenway Park to the community service that he does for, like, the Boys and Girls Club um, to the mass amount of donations and just community activism that he does. Adam Jones is everything that the Oriole way is talked about. I mean, we talk about Cal Ripken and everything that they does. I would go on record of saying I believe Adam Jones probably did more for the community than a Cal Ripken would have done at the time of his playing days. Now, later on, maybe that's different. But I think Adam probably did a little bit more during his playing days than Cal was doing at that time. I think that that Adam Jones has an impeccable record. I think there's no way you can say that he didn't do enough. Um, And, you know, when all said and done, you know, we, we, you know, we call him the captain. Yeah. And uh you don't you don't give that out to just anybody. No. Right? Have have you ever in your lifetime thought of an Oriole as the captain of the team? Besides Adam Jones? When David Wells was on the team. <laughs> okay. Besides Adam Jones and David Wells, have you thought of it? You know what I mean? Like he was unquestioned. No, unquestioned. He, it was unquestionable. Um a, a a real leader and especially one that we continually said during the Brian Roberts and Nick Marcakis era, we said, what player is going to stand up in that locker room and demand a certain way that is being played? And what player is going to go out there and basically be the voice of the team to ownership and management going forward? Brian Roberts didn't do that. Yeah. Nick Marcakis didn't do that. Adam Jones did that more so than any player we've seen. Over the past twenty to thirty years, right. my my favorite Adam Jones moment, yeah, clearly, Cal statue game, yep, home run in the eighth inning. There, that moment for me defined the Oriole era of twenty twelve to twenty sixteen. Sure, in in that one moment, it was like you were down in the dumps, and who comes to the rescue? Of course, it's Adam Jones. Yeah, Adam Jones shattered the aspect of 
this is not going to be the way Orioles baseball is going to be played anymore. Just when you think we're out, we're going to come right back at it, and we are not going to stop until 27 outs have been recorded. Again, very much the Oriole way. And as much as I agree with you for that play on the field, I think that is a memory that will stick with me for my entire life in terms of that moment. But I still say Adam Jones coming back out onto the field after Clinchmas, circling the stadium, pieing folks, is Ripken-esque in terms of circling the stadium during 2131 and embracing the fandom and basically being part of the celebration with the everyday Joe. That's what Baltimore loves. That's what Baltimore embraces. It's not even about the aspect of the wins or losses on the field. It's the aspect of embracing the fandom. I think the greats understand that. I think the Palmers understand that. I think the Ripkins understand that. I think the Brookses understand that. That's what makes Adam Jones one of the greatest Warriors of all time. Yeah. And and just by coincidence, you know, we we've seen good to pretty good to almost great players in yeah. the down years. I mean, it was fun to watch Melvin Mora's career. Sure. Right. From a spare part to a all-star. Yeah. Uh, granted, somebody had to be an all-star, but he was good. And Brian Roberts was a lot of fun to watch. Eric Bedard was a jerk, but a pretty good pitcher, right? This was all during terrible, terrible baseball. Adam Jones was in the hall of very, very good. Sure. And played on winning teams in Baltimore. Yeah. And for that, I mean, th- that was just so much fun. Yeah. Well, Scotty, Adam Jones. Yeah. He gone. He gone. It breaks my heart, but he is gone. So we need to move on. We do. Okay. So we're going to talk about everything else in our next segment. All right, so we move on from one legend, and we hit another one. Buck Walter. it certainly sounded like in his post-game conference and him avoiding the topic, that this as well was his potentially his last game for the Baltimore Orioles. And it's amazing to me, to a certain regard, that in one podcast to a certain regard or in one show, we have to cover both the leaving of Adam Jones and the leaving of Buckshaw Walter all back to back. I mean, this is an emotional roller coaster. And I think some of us are like, no, Show Walter's not gone until he's actually gone. But you could listen to the quiver and Show Walter's voice, and you knew at the end that was it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's been officially told, but it sounds like he knows. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, and we figured that this was coming. You know, we we, we looked at the writings on the wall and how much influence Buck had during the second half of this. And I wouldn't say he was mailing it in, but I, I certainly think he was just kind of going with the cards that were dealt to him. But uh, I don't know. Let me ask you this. Um, Show Walter leaving. Yeah. Is it, in your opinion— the best thing for the team as it relates to management of the on-field product? Or do you think it is about having a clear voice from baseball operations that he has to go? 
So there's an article written this week by Peter Schmuck um, indicating that the Orioles letting go of Buck Showalter um, is a terrible idea, and um, it no one they can bring in could be potentially better than Buck Showalter. I don't know how anybody can say such a thing. I don't know how anyone can actually predict the future and know that a manager is going to be better and or worse than a current manager. What I will say is Caleb Joseph was right. And Caleb Joseph basically came out and said, there needs to be ramifications for a team that doesn't succeed and it is this bad. And one of the ramifications of that is you live and die by your wins and losses. And the first person that goes, if you lose a lot, are both the manager and the players. And as part of that process, the manager is going to get fired. There's going to be a bunch of new coaches and there's going to be a bunch of new players. And we've already seen a bunch of new players as of the trade deadline, but that's going to continue. Could Buck turn it around? Yeah, it's definitely possible he could turn it around. As he's done in, you know, Texas and possibly you could say New York and, you know, coming from nothing in Arizona. You're right. He did turn it around there and took him to World Series and won multiple championships. There's <laughs> there's no question about that. Again, it, this comes back down to the eternal question whenever a coach or a manager is hired of, how significant is a coach and a manager to the given you know improvement of a team? My gut still tells me that a manager doesn't make that significant difference. But man, it's really hard for me not to look at when Buck came in and made this much of a difference for the team. I realized that a lot of good things had to fall in line, including a generational talent like Manny Machado. But man, it's hard for me to say that bringing another manager to replace him is going to get better immediately with the next with the next uh, hiring. So I think this is a long process. Um, I don't think Buck is of an age and or the ability to go ahead and turn this all around by himself. I think it's time to write, wipe the clean, the slate clean, shake up the etch sketch. And let's start from scratch. Yeah. I mean, I guess my feelings on the topic are the Orioles aren't worse off with Showalter in the dugout. Um, I am surprised, to be honest, that the organization is going to choose, so to speak, between Showalter and Duquette. Um, you know, Showalter lost 115 games with the product that Duquette provided for him. And not to say that the manager did not occasionally push the wrong buttons. Not to say that the manager failed to maintain the integrity of the clubhouse in a team that lost 115 games. Mm -hmm. But the uh, GM also assembled a product that was capable of losing not just some games, sure. but 115. Sure. Um, is the either-or mentality about Showalter or Duquette fair? Like, oh. do you think it was a choice? But they had to go with one of the two. No, they they should just fire both of them. On, in all honesty, yeah. and just start from scratch. But it's the Orioles. They're not going to do that. They're going to hitch their ride to someone and say, "We'd rather have someone that we know as opposed to starting from scratch." Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. As much as we, as Orioles fans, like to say, "Well, it was this person's fault or that person's fault." You don't lose this many games unless it's a multitude of issues. This is the situation where 
on multiple parallels, this organization failed. It failed at the GM. It failed at the manager level. It failed at coaching. It failed in minor league development. It failed in scouting. It failed at ownership. It has failed in every single facet and has been unable to keep up with the rest of the league. Yeah. Um, he, here's a question I have, and I'm going to come back to show Walter, but I'd like to go on a, a Duquette tangent here. Uh, Dan Duquette, you know, was popular with the fans when the team was winning, mm. right? That That's generally the trend of things. So is Dan Duquette capable of bringing the Orioles back from the darkness or did he only preside over winning clubs because of that which Andy McPhail's tenure gave him? Sure. So let's think about what did um, Dan Duquette do really well at um, when he when he was here. He did a really good job of going and getting talent um, for a price point that was um, unexpected. So one would be a good example of going out and getting like a Jason Hamill or going out and getting a Nelson Cruz, or going out and getting a Mark Trumbo. These were all kind of moves that you look at and say, I'm not sure how successful that's going to be, but I understand why the move was made. But he was also very unsuccessful, too, of bringing in players like Abaldo Jimenez, Giovanni Gallardo. Um, A lot of money was also spent in terms of trivial players that were probably no more than a one-more player, I mean, if you look at the talent that was basically acquired that were less than one more players, it's got to come out to be at least $60 million. And I'm not even including Chris Davis in this category, which right. I don't even know how to categorize that beast. Um, you can just look at all the wasted money in 2015 on free agents. Right. And so, I mean, I, I think to a certain regard, my question would be, are we really relying on Dan Duquette to rebuild this club due to what he did with the Expos and what he did with the Red Sox? And how well does that skill set translate now to an age of um, a completely different um, foreign prospect uh, pool and a completely different age of statistical analysis that was not present at that time? Well, I think it all comes down to, um, and I agree with you, I think that the thing that Duquette really did well was supplemental talent. Mm -hmm. You know, Miguel Gonzalez, Bud Norris at the right time, you know, finding Chaz Rowe for the two weeks that he was the had the best slider in baseball, that kind of thing. He was he was best at finishing up, right? He buffed out the imperfections. Right. But you know, did he do the things that he did from twenty twelve to twenty sixteen because that's what ownership would allow, or was that his true skill skill set? And I feel like that's a question that we don't know the answer to. Yeah. And I feel like saying, okay, well, the Suns have more control over the Orioles now, and they've had a come-to-Jesus moment because they just lost 115 games, so Dan Duquette's going to be able to do things differently is a huge leap of faith. I completely agree. Huge. Completely agree. And I think that if it were me, I would just clean house. Yeah. Right? I would say— Look, what happened from 2012 to 2016 was great, but it was its own unique moment. And here we are in another completely different, unique moment, and we need a different solution. If you're going to tell me that we need to part ways with with Buck Showalter, a manager who has had success here and elsewhere, I don't understand why we're not saying we need to part ways with a general manager who's had success here and elsewhere so that we can go off and do the things that we need to do. I'm not saying that Dan Duquette can't do it. I'm saying that having seen him 
operate in the good times, I'm not confident enough to say that that's the right way to go to shape the direction of the franchise in a way that's going to be sustainable. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like once you start throwing, like, what if, what if, and he could, I think it's a situation of he's probably not the right person for the job. Probably not the right person for the job. All right, let me let me come back to uh, Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter, fairly or unfairly, I think, gets credit for revitalizing this franchise. You know, it turned around the moment he was hired, right? That August of 2010. I gave my favorite uh, Adam Jones moment. What's your defining Buck Showalter moment? Uh, my defining Buck Showalter moment would be during the 2012 season when the Orioles are kind of beating up on the Yankees and Buck is barely smiling, but you can just see a little bit of a, a hint of the smile kind of curling up on his face, just being like, we're back. I'm back. Everything's good. I, uh, I love the tenderness of Buck with his players. You know, some of the, some of the, the stuff that obviously hit his soft underbelly about players like JJ Hardy, for yeah. instance. Um, I loved Buck Showalter's press conference after the fanless game, right? Uh, He got it in many ways of where he was here in Baltimore and what he needed to be in his role for this organization and city. Um, I also love the fire. Do you remember the the game where he and uh, Joe Girardi got into it from across the diamond? It was Joe Girardi chirping at Bobby Dickerson and Buck coming out of the dugout saying, uh-uh, no way. Cut that S out. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great Buck Showalter moment. There was also the time where he was in Toronto and he goes out to talk to the umpires and he throws every single one of the umpires out of the game because he can't believe the call was made. The measuring stick here in Baltimore is Earl Weaver. Mm-hmm. And there will never, ever be another Earl Weaver. But against that comparison, I think that Showalter acquitted himself well. And I would say you're absolutely right. There will never be another Earl Weaver in terms of temperament and or um, the ability to somewhat call attention to oneself on the field. Uh, But I will say this. I don't think Buck's sassiness will ever be topped by another manager. I am going to miss Sassy Buck. I'm going to miss Sassy Buck a lot. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that tomorrow. (laughs) It's <laughs> like his final press conference. He came in. He didn't want to talk about the fact that this was his last game. He set the tone from the beginning. He's like, I'm going to talk about the game, and that's it. And then he didn't let the, the reporters get a word in edgewise for like 10 minutes. Right. Uh, Buck Showalter. Yeah. Um, I'm going to miss Buck Showalter. I really enjoyed him. Uh, I thought that, again, his relationship with the the team, the fans, the city was spot on for what we needed in that moment for a franchise that had been listless for so many years. Um, and, I, you know, I didn't think very highly of Buck Showalter before he came to Baltimore. I knew that he had had, you know, successful stints elsewhere, including New York. And I knew that he worked for ESPN. I mean, those are two strikes against mm-hmm. him. But he came to Baltimore with a, a reputation of being a micromanager and a guy that just burned through organizations uh, on, you know, who were on the precipice of, of competing. And he won me over. I think the interesting thing for us being in our 30s is Buck Showalter is the first time in our generation we have seen what a successful manager looks like. Mm. 
So even though we had Dave Johnson during the David Johnson in the 96 and 97 um, season, it was kind of a quick blip on the radar and then gone. It, it was a quickie. Yeah, it was a quickie. I think seeing what a manager needs to go through and all the trials and tribulations over a long period of time was really nice to see and really put in perspective also how significant of a job Weaver did during his tenure here with the Orioles. So just like Adam Jones, let's look at Buck Showalter. Yeah. Do you think he's done? Do you think he manages another club? Do you think he remains in baseball in another capacity? What do you think happens with him? I I think Buck is done for the time being. I think he goes back and, you know, takes some time off. Um, But I can easily see within the next maybe a year or two, um, him coming back into the Orioles as a consultant. Okay. You think that he would be welcome back in another capacity in a Dan Duquette administration? Um, I'm not sure if Dan Duquette will last long enough, but I think when Duquette is outside of that organization, ownership will ask Buck to come back. Hmm. I gotta be honest. I hope so. I hope so. I, I've really enjoyed uh, Buck Showalter. I, I think that it's he's... One individual I have yet to meet in person is Buck Showalter. Huh. And one person that I would crave just to have three to five minutes of time just to have a conversation with and say thank you. I always thought that those like win a, win a lunch with Buck Showalter contests were good because, man, if you could just like listen to him talk for 30 minutes... Yeah, I'd, I'd really wanted to win one of those contests, but... uh <laughs> That's one player that I, I or manager that I did never got to talk to during this era, and uh, that's a regret. Is the best way to describe it. Besides peppering with questions at the fan fest, but again, say love thee. All right. Well, before I get too sad, um, too late. It would be, it would be for a professional podcast to do a full debrief of the season, and frankly, I don't want to. Yeah. Let's hit a couple of of uh, overall points about the the 2018 season though uh before we do i just want to make a quick uh mention eduardo encina leaving the orioles beat going back to to his tampa bay uh his wife's home i guess yeah um to cover the the bucks um lost for the, the bucks or the rays no he's he's gonna cover the bucks uh, that's that's terrible yeah 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 uh what do you think about that as, as far as a, a loss to the beat and or you know what does that situation uh mean for orioles you know, Twitter slash uh, media reading. So, I mean, I thought Eduardo did a great job in terms of just being that consistent voice on the beat. Um, again, not really throwing out the spin, but just kind of doing the, um, I'd say Dan Connolly role, mm. the old Dan Connolly role for the Baltimore Sun. Um, again, not really so much so throwing spin or flair like a Rockabaco used to do for the Baltimore Sun, but really just leaving out there and saying, here's what happened. Here's what's kind of going on in the clubhouse and just kind of leaving it there. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how John Mioli does in terms of having to potentially transition to that role, because I certainly don't think Peter Schmuck is taking on that role again. But it'll be very interesting to see how John Mioli has to kind of fill the gap in terms of responding to the mainstream um, audience, as opposed to maybe his more niche-ish environment of scouting prospects and overall nerdy insights. Yeah. I mean, I... I 
I think I'll miss him on the beat. Eddie Encina was was good. He was uh, you know he was a good guy, and and I thought that his reporting was was you know adequate uh, at worst. Um, here's one thing I will say: his Twitter handle is Eddie in the Yard. Why? Why do people do this? Why do people in positions where they may change jobs or numbers, if you're a player, put that kind of stuff in your social media handle? Why? Yeah. I mean, this is an awkward conversation, but we're going to have to be called Bird's Eye View T-O-R next year because we're moving to (laughs) Toronto. So that's what I like to hear. (laughs) All right. The 2018 season was a disaster. Yeah. It was a disaster. Um, Let's look back. Before we get negative, is there anything that you can look at this past season and take hope from when looking forward to 2019 and beyond? For the future or just 2019? Yes. Okay. I'll take whatever I can get. So I think the big question that I've taken off since this trade deadline has been, what does the the roster construction look like for, for 2019? And, you know, we traded for Jonathan Villar. We traded for Renato Nunez. And I'm left with this aspect of saying, is Jennifer Villar and Renato Nunez your option on the left-hand side going forward? Is Renato Nunez your third baseman going into next year? And is Jonathan Villar your shortstop going into next year? And I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, does it hurt you? It's probably a very cheap option. But you're certainly, if you're going with that option, I'm just saying, meh, we're not doing anything next year. Which, maybe that's okay. But the other aspect is it doesn't promise anything for the future. So, so no, there's nothing you take hope from. <laughs> there is one thing I'll throw out, and it's a very small sample size. So I think we've got to take this with kind of a grain of salt. DJ Stewart played pretty darn well, all things considering for the brief time period that he was up here for. So in 47 plate appearances, he had a 250 average, 340 on base percentage, and a 137 weighted runs created plus in 47 plate appearances. Now I'm aware. It's 47 plate appearances. Not a huge sample set for me to basically make a significant amount of determination. But I had no hope for DJ Stewart coming into this season whatsoever. I thought that he was going to be another failed prospect. And I was like, DJ Stewart's not going to amount to anything. I may have been wrong about that. I may still be right about that. But there's enough that I've seen for DJ Stewart in September, where I thought coming into September, we weren't going to see anything that I'm willing to see DJ Stewart potentially in left field to start the season next year. Where was this love in your heart for Joey Rickard? Joey Rickard doesn't mean <laughs> my love. Um, for me, I, uh, I saw enough in the second half from Alex Cobb to make me believe that Alex Cobb is not a Baldo Jimenez 2.0. So you saw his face <laughs> and now you're a believer. Ouch. Yikes. Um, no, uh, I, I think that what I've seen from his repeatable command, uh, mechanics, uh, and you know, once, once he gets a, a new finger, uh, that, that he will be a stable portion of the rotation. I, I, I am a believer in, uh, Alex Cobb in a way that I, I never was for Jimenez. So we've got one, we've got one pitcher. Okay, I'll throw one more out there and something that I was encouraged with seeing during the second half of the season. After the trade deadline, 
I feel like Michael Givens did okay. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers right now for the second half of the season. 7.62 Ks per nine, 2.22 walks per nine, 0.95 home runs per nine. Good for a 3.49 ERA, 3.58 FIP. Good for a 0.5 F4. Certainly not Zach Britton-esque. But who will be? Correct. But certainly a replacement for like a Darren O'Day type player. I would certainly be going out next year and I'd be giving the ball to Michael Givens and saying, you're going to be our designated closer. We want you to make it happen. Do what you can. If you give up the home run, you give up a game. No big deal. And I would ride Michael Givens as much as possible next year as that closer, get him to the deadline and trade him away. Hmm. Okay. I could see that. Do you think from a value standpoint, it's best to do that in the ninth, or do you think it's best to give him the Andrew Miller treatment, which says, oh my God, it's the sixth with one out and we need to get out of this bases loaded situation right now. I give it to him the ninth. All right. I, I, I'm fine with that. I get that confidence aspect because that's the one thing that I question of. Does he have the confidence to basically come in in any scenario and, and deliver? And I think that's what's going to get people to buy into Michael Givens going into the trade deadline. And it's sad that we're already thinking about the 2019 trade deadline. But again, this is going to be the process, as we talked about from Dan Duquette. This is coming back to remustering your farm system that we've stripped out from basically trading away and giving away draft picks years upon years upon years two players that i really want to know what the deal is with them uh are trey mancini and cedric mullins Mm -hmm. so let's start with trey mancini do you think that trey mancini just had a terrible first half of the season do you think that trey mancini hit a wall that he's never going to overcome or do you think that this is a player that can still develop into an everyday major league talent i think Trey Mancini is a player that could develop into an everyday major league talent, but I certainly don't think he's going to be a superstar. I still think he's going to be a 1.5 to 2.5 war player, and I think he needs to be playing first base yeah, every single day. But the thing is, if he can do that, I will take that every day of the week from a Trey Mancini. Yeah, I, again, I would be playing Trey Mancini and first base every single day going forward next year and... I don't know what they're doing with Chris Davis, if they need to have him back because of just financial obligations. He's my DH going forward, and that's all he's going to do. I would pitch him. Um, uh, Cedric Mullins. Yeah. This is going to sound weird. I am uninterested in Cedric Mullins at the plate for what we've seen him. Yes. I I don't care so much about what we see from him with the stick. Can Cedric Mullins play center field at the major league level? I say yes. I've seen enough from him in terms of instinct and range that makes me think he can play a center field um, just as good as an Adam Jones. Okay. And I I think that's not nothing, right? Um, Adam Jones, during his prime, was probably adequate out there. Um, I'd say adequate to above average. I wouldn't say gold glove, but I'd say good enough. Right. I, I think that... Mullins can develop at the plate to the point where he won't hurt you out there, right? Um, you don't have to have a, a middle-of-the-order guy in every position. Um, if he can be adequate at the major league level and play a, a, an adequate or above-average center field, I would be happy enough with that. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. For me, for his development, I really look at him in the field because, like you, I, I 
notice some challenges right away and you're never sure, you know, is it the second deck? Is it, you know, replacing Adam Jones? Is it being nervous? What, what have you? Um, but I'll look during spring training next season to see, you know, what's the real story with Cedric Mullins. Yeah. I mean, looking at Mullins' numbers for the second half of the season, 191 plate appearances posted an 86 weighted runs created plus. But the one thing that really strikes me is, you know, decent walk rate and decent K rate, 8.9 walk rate, 19.4 K rate. The Babbitt was the one thing that really was interesting to me, a 279 Babbitt. Now, again, it could be a flash in the pan, but I honestly think that Cedric Mullins is going to end up as, you know, right around 100 weighted runs created plus. So he's going to be league average. Sure. But where he's going to make up for it in the long term is going to be defensively. And as we saw this year for the Orioles, the Orioles were one of the worst defensive teams out there. In order to get this team back into playoff contention, they're going to have to have a bunch of players that are really good on defense. Mullins could potentially be one of those cogs, which is not all-star level like a Manny Machado in terms of defense. But if they've got another few individuals like an Austin Hayes in right field, maybe they can set it up on a defensive positioning standpoint that makes it really nice out there. Here's, we'll here's see. hoping. Yeah. Any other players that you're really, you know, interested about what happens next year, or is it, you know, is it crapshoot time? There is one more player, and it's a goodbye. I think we've seen the last of Caleb Joseph as well. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. But hey, he's got a promising uh, broadcast career ahead of him. He does. But um, yeah, I mean, with Austin wins and Chancisco, I, I don't think the Orioles are going to pick up Caleb Joseph's arbitration, even though it's probably going to be like $1.2 million. I think sure. they're just going to say, we have enough talent in the minors that we can get by without having to rely on Caleb Joseph. And that's saying something with as unimpressive as those two guys were. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Caleb Joseph. Chancisco. The other guy. Yeah. Chance Cisco really failed to take hold of that position. Oh, totally. Right? And even with all that, Caleb Joseph will probably be gone next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Particularly if there's no Buck Showalter. <laughs> right. You know? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. But hey, who would look better in the Rick Dempsey spot? Oh, my goodness. Than Caleb Joseph. Caleb Joseph would look great. If you had a, a broadcast of Tom Davis, Caleb Joseph, and Nate McLeod... Man, Orioles Ooh. fans would go crazy. Ooh. But yeah. Huh. All right. So we tried to take some some solace. I don't want to beat too bad on them because we did that all season. But let's just talk about some of the greatest disappointments sure. from the 2018 season. Um, and for me— How long is this podcast going to go? <laughs> ages. Okay. Days. So how many do we actually have to come up with? Let's call it three. Okay. Let's call it a solid three, top three disappointments. Okay. From, from 2018. Uh, for me, the, the number one has to be watching a generational talent leave in Manny Machado. Uh, we knew it was going to happen. We knew it was probably the right thing to happen, but man, that sucked watching. It's just everything about it hurt. Yeah. Manny Machado is now playing for the Dodgers in the playoffs and, uh, you know, won't, won't be taking us to the promised land. Uh, in orange and black. Yeah. Oof. Pretty bad. Pretty bad indeed. Um, my really disappointment has to come back to Dylan Bundy, who had a pretty horrible season. Um, you know, you look at Bundy's numbers, 5.45 ERA, 5.16 FIP. Um, but the big one is 2.15 home runs per nine innings. Ouch. Um, yeah, Dylan Bundy uh, 
exploded all over the place, and it was a home run derby a lot of times during the second half of the season. <sighs> Again, looking forward to the future, something's got to change with Dylan Bundy. I think it's got to be coaching um, because right now he's either tipping pitchers or doing something, but Dylan Bundy is not going to last in American League East if he keeps pitching like this. Here's the thing. When he had that run this season where he looked ace-like, yeah. if he has another one next year, they need to trade him. Yeah. They, they need to get the highest value they can. Agree. Totally agree. <sighs> All right. My next disappointment was was watching uh, great players leave and realizing that the cupboard was absolutely empty. Yeah. Right. You look at, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but you know they traded away six players and got 15 back or something like that. Mm-hmm. They basically did an overhaul of their 40-man roster. And, and to the Orioles' credit, I mean, they brought in better talent at the minor league levels than they had, right? The eighth uh ranks you know dodgers uh prospect was suddenly the orioles third best prospect or something like that you know they were clearly upgrading but even with all that they have nothing to show for themselves for not the cavalry what's the word on the next man up mm-hmm. they don't have any of that they have nothing despite the the fact that they traded off everything that wasn't bolted down they have nothing to show for themselves and uh, that was really disappointing to see that not only was the window of of competitiveness closing at the major league level, but that it was closing in a way that showed that the organization had given no thought whatsoever as to what was going to happen next. Yeah. Got a similar tangent on that one from one of my bad ones. Um, and it's going to come back to the Kevin Gossman trade. And looking at it now with the Kevin Gossman trade, and I realized I got rid of Darren O'Day's salary I look at the bring the bringing back of it of Evan Phillips, Jean Carlos Encarnacion, uh, Brett Cumberland, and Bruce Zimmerman in international bonus slot money, and I'm left with the aspect of I, I look at the return and I look at the reports coming out this past week of hey Victor Victor Mesa is going to be doing you know his showcase, but it certainly looks like the Marlins have the best shot of getting him. And I'm left at the end of the day looking at this and saying, did we really just give away Kevin Gossman for nothing? And if so, looking at the performance that Kevin Gossman's currently doing in Atlanta, I'm thinking to myself, could this have been a worse deal than we actually got for Dar- than, uh, for Jake Arrieta? Yeah. Um, I will say, though, uh, as disappointing as that is, yeah. and you're not wrong about any of that analysis, doesn't matter. It does. And I'll point out this. Kevin Gossman could have easily been moved at a different time. When this move was made, we specifically said this felt rushed. It felt like the Orioles felt like they had to make a move in order to basically free up salary. And the whole contingent of it really wasn't so much on the aspect of which specific prospects to get. Rather, it was a shotgun approach. It was almost of the aspect of the Orioles said, we have to clear X amount of money as quick as possible. Who is going to be willing to take Darren O'Day and what do they want for it back? And the Braves said, well, we want Kevin Gossman. We'll take Darren O'Day. You can have a, we, this is the list of prospects that we're offering. You can pick four out of the 15 that we're offering and they're fine for you. Oh, and by the way, we're not using it as bonus slot money. So you might as well go ahead and have it. And maybe you can use it for something because you guys never do use it for anything else. So it's a fire yeah. sale. I really feel like, you know, looking at the second half of the season, 
I don't know if the Kevin Gossman trade absolutely had to happen at July of 2018. Certainly think that it had to happen eventually, but I don't know if it had to happen right at that moment. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I think for me, the greatest disappointment of the 2018 season was having nothing to watch for for months. Right after May ended, you knew that the season was over, that nothing was going to happen of value. Uh, and that's that was terrible. I mean, June, July, August, September goes by, and there's no reason to be connected to the baseball team. There's no reason to live and die with the, the wins and the losses. It got to the point where the losing just didn't hurt anymore. You know, I, I remember Jim Leland saying that, you know, you know it's time to step away as a manager when the losses don't hurt anymore. And that's where we got as fans. Mm-hmm. Like you just watch one embarrassment after another and you're like, well, I mean, that's yeah, Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. That was the greatest disappointment for me. I, I loved, I generated so much care about the Orioles when they didn't deserve it. I mean, I, I cared deeply about really bad teams. And then I had the, the distinct pleasure of caring about games that mattered, you know, and watching a team work its way through competing, uh, you know, for, for something that was real and to go back to, you know, moving away from that and knowing it and, and kind of disengaging emotionally from the baseball team. That was really hard for me. That was, I think the greatest disappointment of 2018. I hear what you're saying. And I, I agree with you, um, of that being one of the greatest disappointments for this season. But I think the one thing that strikes me as something that has really been paining me um, for some time, not just in terms of the Orioles, but generally just the whole aspect of reality as it is right now for for all of us. Um, And I I think it comes back down to um, accountability. Accountability has been something that I have been thinking a bunch about with the Orioles and generally with general current events as well. And it's a situation where individuals take actions the actions have negative consequences and then there is no accountability held for those individuals and i think that's the bigger aspect of you mentioned a loss happens and then a loss happens and a loss happens and there's nothing to basically break up the monotony of the loss but one way that you do break up the monotony of that loss is to basically hold people accountable and say we are not going to accept these results any further. We are going to be making a change and we are holding this accountable. And yes, the change that we're making may not be successful, but at least it breaks up the monotony of the pain and the losses and the trials and tribulations and more importantly, the failures of action. At a point when a group or a team or just you know a government um, don't t- doesn't take accountability anymore for actions. That's where disappointment really lingers for me. So I think the lack of accountability so much on the Orioles to take any action throughout the 2018 season and now going into the 2018 off season is my biggest disappointment. You're not angry. You're just disappointed. Just disappointed. Hey, let us know what your greatest disappointment was from this season. Tweet at us at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L, with your greatest 2018 Orioles disappointment. And that being said, um, 
You know, the Orioles, they made us feel a certain way this season. Um, and it wouldn't be bird's eye view if we didn't express our emotions lyrically. And so uh, if you're anything like us, maybe the Orioles made you feel a little like this. It's been a while since I could Hold my head up high And it's been a while since I wasn't ashamed of you And it's been a while since I could stand To watch my team again And it's been a while since I could cheer for you And all the games I can remember We're all depressing, so it seems With all the leads that you surrendered You lost a hundred and fifteen It's been a while since I could say That inning wasn't sad And it's been a while since I could say The defense played real well and It's been a while since you struck out 13 times Just like you always do And it's been a while and all those shifts seem to work but only against you And all the series I remember Were circled by opposing teams You were a doormat to contenders You lost a hundred and fifteen Why must you suck this way? You hurt me with your And it's been a while in the lost column And it's been a while since I've seen the flags Show you were in first place And it's been a while But I can still remember when you weren't a disgrace 
Than all the games I can remember Were over before they started it seems To me and it's not just me We cannot blame this on Joe Walter He did his best with nobody It's been a while since I could hold my head up high And it's been a while in the lost column Well, that was something. Was it? It was something. Something. This, this season has left a stain on my heart. I thought it was Emo Dave Matthews Band, personally, but... That's just me personally. All right. Well, Jake, two weeks ago, we sat down and we decided to play a little fantasy boss. Did we do that? We, we did do that. Are we going to do it again? We are going to do it again. If we must. But this time, with the vocal stylings of some Brian Setzer Orchestra. <laughs> Gotta keep insisting, oh baby. You sure do sway. When it comes to kissing, I just got to keep insisting, oh daddy. You are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Oh, yeah. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining bright, oh, you're the boss. So, Jake. Uh, category this past two weeks was Dongs After Dusk. Dongs After Dusk. It's got a good ring to it. Yeah, it does. So, Jake, uh, we decided to go with the obvious category of home runs. And um, well, we decided to take account of how many home runs uh, the players that we picked were going to hit over a two-week period. So, I had picked Jonathan Villar. You had picked Trey Mancini. Uh, Trey Mancini beats Jonathan Villar one to nothing. Ah, uh, I see. <laughs> two weeks? Two weeks. That is impressive. That's very impressive. Uh, can I ask, how is it that my performance in Fantasy Boss is this consistent with as terrible as I am at this? Jake, the only way I can describe that is Orioles magic. Feel it happen. Oh, Feel it happen. With that... Jake wins again, Fantasy Boss, and it's time for a little good, bad, and ugly. right it's time for the good the bad and the ugly well we'll try to find something good to talk about for this segment jake start us off well it would be interesting to look through the performances we saw this week and try to pick out something hopeful something heartwarming i'm gonna take a different tact it's got baseball at its truest and its most core function is about story 
It's about narrative. And it's about emotion. And for the Orioles, I think there was some of that lacking, especially late in the season. And so I was delighted to see the return of weird baseball this week, despite the fact that expanded rosters are upon us. During the first game of Saturday's doubleheader against the Boston Red Sox, a game that ended 19-3, to we got weird baseball in the form of Jace Peterson pitching. That's right, a position player pitching. Like though, though rosters were expanded and we had some, you know, X plus one pitchers uh, available, uh, I love watching position players uh, pitch even when they're hours out of dis- desperation. So for the sheer fun of it, that's my good this week. All right. Jake, my good for this week is, you know, I looked at everything and there was only one thing I could come up with which was really good that – Honestly, if you missed out on this, shame on you. The Orioles' puffy vest, if you missed out on that, that was the best giveaway pretty much of the entire season. So, you know, congratulations to all of you that got the Orioles' puffy vest. For those that, you know, didn't and maybe got to the game a little too late, that's a shame because you missed out on a great giveaway. You're the worst. (laughs) You're the worst. Do you know where they're going to give away those puffy vests next? At At Yankee Stadium. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Let's see. I'm going to go bad here, but... Scotty, I've got so many choices, and I just don't know what to do about it. I mean, I go this way, I go that way. Let's go to the wheel. Okay. All right. Okay. Here we go. Get in there. Get in there. Oh, there goes Rick Dempsey doing karaoke, and ooh. whoa. All right, now, I know earlier I said that I wasn't going to harp on this, but the wheel is spoken, and so I'm going to go with Cedric Mullins at the plate uh, for my bad this week. Uh, he <laughs> Negative 37, weighted runs created plus. Uh, I don't I don't even know what else to say about it. You, you mentioned his walk and his, his K rate. This week, it was a 3.7 walk rate and a 22.2% K rate. Uh, he had a 148 on base percentage and this is all in 27 at bats which by the way leads the club didn't get it done doesn't really matter i don't care but it wasn't good it was bad yeah it it was bad um similarly i would actually come back for the last seven days and i'd point out cedric mullins pretty darn terrible negative 37 weighted runs created plus this past week and 27 plate appearances um yeah that's not going to cut it hopefully cedric mullins figures it out um during the offseason and um, gets back at it. But yeah, Cedric Mullins, you were bad this week. Bad squared. Yeah. Uh, all right, this is my ugly for this week. Uh, I was a little disappointed with one facet of Sunday's Adam Jones farewell fest. And that was, you know, his 0 for 4 day was kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. And I think his 0 for 4 day had a lot to do with the fact that he was emotionally amped. Yeah, he was he was back to like 2011 hacking Jones, and I think it was just all emotions. Uh, that having been said, that's not the ugly part. Okay, the ugly part of that scenario is the fact that he did not get the Evan Meek treatment. Mm. There was nothing about that game that mattered. The Astros could not have been less interested. No Ray in competing. Yeah, and so my question is. Why did Adam Jones not get the meatiest of meatballs to take a swing at in each at bat? You know, and, and the thing is, is that those those are not 
guaranteed home runs, right? Sure. You still have to be a major league hitter and you still have to do, you know, with it what you will. Sometimes you, you miss it and you pop out or you ground out to first or whatever, but he should have gotten the most ridiculous meatball in every at bat that he had on his farewell game with the Orioles. And so for the Astros failing to help us fill the narrative. Sure. You're ugly. Yeah. So Jake, it's my turn to go through ugly. And I, I feel like this entire podcast, in, including the vocal stylings, um, has been pretty ugly. So I don't want to harp on it too much in terms of what an ugly is. So instead, I think it's time, Jake. I think it's time for us to unleash a brand new segment going forward for a bird's eye view and kind of a prelude into maybe a preview for the offseason and going into 2019. That's right, Jake. It's time for the Adam Jones Watch. That's right, Jake. It's time for the Adam Jones Watch, where we're going to be checking in on a weekly slash monthly basis or whenever we feel like it in terms of determining where Adam Jones lands going forward in the future. So, Jake, uh, I'm checking through the Twitter right now, checking through the Instagram, and there appears to be no updates for Adam Jones potentially moving and or uh, anything of interest with Adam Jones. But we here at Bird's Eye View will constantly be vigilant and keep an eye out and break any news as it comes out in terms of the Adam Jones watch. So please stay tuned. <laughs> um, Do you like shtick? I, I may enjoy <laughs> shtick a little bit. Uh, it's to the point where I don't even care if the listeners enjoy this. No, they're just like, this is so stupid. Why I, are these? Why am I listening to these idiots? I think I am the only person in the world that enjoys the wheel. Um, yeah. But uh, it's my show, so you can do whatever you want. I'll do whatever I want. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, with that, you want to go ahead and blow some saves? Let's do it. Oh, Captain, my Captain, our fearful trip is done. Yeah, that's it. This is the end of Bird's Eye View in 2018. Uh, little housekeeping. Regular listeners, uh, both of you, will know that uh, we don't take the off-season off, but we're not quite as regular. There's not as much fiber in the diet. So, listen, uh, this is how it's going to work. We'll go to probably monthly shows during the off-season until... Maybe. ...something interesting happens. Yes. Yeah. And we'll podcast when and if something interesting happens. Yeah. You know, maybe it's spring training. Maybe it's, uh, you know, an acquisition. But listen... It may be May of next year. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rush the miracle worker or you get lousy miracles. So, uh, again, we're going into off-season mode. We will not be regular weekly... Uh, so get off our back. Jeez, guys, we're tired. We need this. It's over. Go home. <laughs> now, seriously, we'll be back for 2019. Uh, when we started this podcast up in 2012, we specifically said we wanted to start a podcast, even knowing at that point that it was going to be a truly awful team. And, uh, we were as shell shocked as all of you out there about how good, uh, things had turned out to be this era so even though this era of Birdland and Orioles baseball is coming to a close, we here at Bird's Eye View are not disappearing. Oh, no, you are saddled with us like a terrible Chris Davis contract. So congratulations. This is a blithe on all of us. 
I just found the bird bird's eye view slash Baltimore on spell. Yeah. I like I like yeah. that. Yeah. And that may be making more of an appearance next year. Are you saying there might be shtick? There may be shtick. Oh Lordy. And if you'd like to join us in that shtick, contact us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. <laughs> That's our show. Remember, you can find our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others, especially ones that go on hiatus for several months. Please remember to rate and review the show. Please. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. If you've been with us all season long and you've enjoyed the content, Take this as your final swan song going into the season. Clean out the locker, drop a review, and just say thanks. We would really appreciate it. Come get social with us. Scotty already gave you the email. It's contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us at uh, Jake and Scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. But I won't check it. No. Uh, you can also find us on social media. Look, we've got an Instagram account. We've got a Facebook account. We've we've got a Snapchat. Do you believe in Snapchat anymore? No. I don't know. Not certainly not people in their thirties. Yeah, uh, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter. We've got the best words there. Yeah, the best words, best words, and we tweet at Bird's Eye View B A L. Yep. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond twenty eighteen. Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. I can't believe we got through another season. This one was a tough one. I can't believe we got through this episode. I know. Yeah, you didn't even cry. No. I was impressed. No, I just wept on the way here. Gotcha. So you just blew it all out. Absolutely. Just blew the load out and just moved right on. I blewed myself. Yeah. Well, that that happens. That happens. They're not going to do anything this offseason, are they? Nope. Okay. Buckshaw Watcher's back next season, right? Nope. Without a contract. Just walks and Doug and be like, hey guys, I'm here. Don't have a contract. You know what he will be back for? What's that? Kids Piece 5K. Ooh, there you go. Awkward. Might be awkward. It's over. Go home. Go.